Andre is a dear friend of mine, and we're just so blessed uh, by him and, and Jennifer and Benedict. We're just blessed by their friendship. Father, I thank you for Andre. I thank you for his heart. I thank you, Lord, that his heart also beats for you, Jesus. And I pray a blessing on Andre as he speaks to us in Jesus' name. Would you anoint his words? Amen. Is that better? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mute. Sometimes we put good God on mute <clears throat> and then wonder why he doesn't speak. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, this morning we're going to, I'm going to speak to you. It's kind of one directional. Um, <laughs> about what, what is faith. Um, there are fundamental questions sometimes that we don't ask ourselves, we just receive them and then go along. And um, obviously in the world, people throw questions at us and we start thinking about it, but just to give an answer and like leave me alone kind of thing. And, but when we dig deeper, we find truths um, that are a lot deeper than we thought they were. And as I've been digging into this question and, and other questions on the side as well, I'm amazed at the wisdom and the grandeur of God. And <clears throat> lots of things are said in a simple way. Um, and when God says believe, I, one of the sisters over there was, was saying just believe. We can receive that just as is, <clears throat> and we can think about it as well. So my first, my first um, obviously this is part of the Hebrew series. Um, I'm not going to delve in, or actually am I? Can we, can we have the first? Oh, sorry about this. First slide. Okay, so I'm just going to focus on this one verse from Hebrews 11, 1. Hebrews 11 is all about faith. Um, but the first verse <clears throat> is an interesting one. We read, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Let's leave it there for the moment. And, and think about what people say. What, what, do, what do we hear about faith when we, in our minds and when we talk about, you know, about it with people? And I'm just going to list a few here and try to go through them quickly. Um, one of the, I guess, we use faith on a, on a, on a regular basis or in the world it's the, world, it's the word we, we use when we don't want to say religion. So in our, in some of, you know, sometimes we, we can say faith, faith is religion. And here's, in fact, what we find in the Oxford Dictionary. It says, faith is a strong belief 
in the doctrines of a religion based on spiritual conviction rather than proof. Okay. So there's another uh, idea here, which is faith is opposed to rationality. Um, it's, it's basically human tendency to be open to irrational and arbitrary beliefs or thoughts which actually have a bearing on, our, on how we lead our lives. Um, faith is some mystical or superstitious belief in a deity or a cosmic power uh, or powers. Um, it's basically totally irrational. That's another idea. Um, we also find another analysis of what faith is. Faith is a cultural phenomenon. Uh, it's a control mechanism uh, produced by society to have people behave in certain ways. A set of social norms, wise sayings, how to lead one li one's life. Um, it also has a good effect, which is to alleviate people's pain and suffering. You know, it's better to have faith when you're, you know, when you're, when you're suffering than not to, because it gives you hope, you know, better life, etc. Um, so essentially, it's a myth. It's a, it's a comforting illusion or delusion, depending on how you see things. Um, Marx, after hailing organized faith, i.e. religion, back to the first point where faith is religion, um, um, where he said religion is the opium of the people, he then goes on to say the abolition of religion as the illusory happiness of the people is the demand for their real happiness. Deep inside, we all want happiness, and we crave for it. And, re and religion, if it's abolished, will help us reach that happiness. That's Marx's view. So it's a myth, it's a comforting illusion. <clears throat> I was having a discussion with, uh, with a friend who has decided that actually he's more comfortable not believing in God. Um, and and he, he, was, he was saying, you know, I'm, I'm tired of trying to second-guess God. Um, and, and, you know, we're, we're trying to work through his questions and basically his experience. And I ended up saying to him, listen, faith is not a choice. And this is the other idea. Faith is not a choice. Uh, because if you don't believe then you can't really bring yourself to suddenly be a believer. You know, if deep down I don't believe, I don't believe. I'm not going to suddenly, you know, decide that I'm going to have this, uh, what we call cognitive dissonance, you know, where your heart is somewhere, your mind is somewhere else, and both are not aligned. Um, that would be self-defeating. It's basically one day you're going to wake up and say, actually, I don't believe. You know, all these days I went through the motions. Even, you know, Stephen Dawkins um, uh, says, uh, you know, I was, I was raised as, a, as, a, as an Anglican. I went through my confirmation, and then I had doubts and decided that there is no God. Basically, you never had faith. Um, and it's, so that proves the point. It, it proves the point that it's not a choice. We don't, we don't just switch on faith. 
So in all this, it seems that there's something outside of our control when it comes to faith. Um, you know, some people, I'm going through the points again, some people say it's irrational, so we don't have control over it. It's something that's handed down by society, so we don't really have control over it. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's not a mental process where you suddenly decide that you want to believe. Uh, and this is why some people have come to argue that only reason can overcome this issue. So, proving the point, faith is blind. In other words, it does not rest on evidence, just as the Oxford Dictionary says, it is based on spiritual conviction rather than proof. In fact, historians usually refer to the period before the, what, they, what we call the Enlightenment as the Dark Ages. Faith is blind. It was, you know, faith was stronger, etc. Until reason came to, to the world <laughs> and enlightened all of us. Um, so, let's take five minutes. Um, I'm going to let uh, a, a man speak who is, uh, whose name is Eric Metaxas. He, is, uh, he was born in 63. He's an American author, a speaker, and a radio host. He's also the founder of and host of the New York City-based uh, series of events in, the, in town, which is called Socrates in the City. Um, where he invites uh, great minds to speak uh, about their views, their worldviews, uh, questions about faith, etc. Um, and so let us give him five minutes to speak about his experience uh, of faith and how he came to faith because he wasn't a believer, he was a staunch atheist, and then he came to faith. How did that happen? There's no such thing as blind faith. The whole idea of blind faith is a misunderstanding of faith. Faith uh, can only be faith in what is real. This ridiculous idea, which is so popular in our culture, that you know, if you want to believe, you've got to kind of check your brain uh, at the door. That's absurd. I mean, it's totally wrong. Some of the greatest minds I've ever met, people that are just extraordinary, brilliant, thoughtful, uh, emotionally intelligent, uh, emotionally mature people are people of faith in Jesus. And I think the tragedy of our culture and the culture that I grew up in is that you don't really see evidence of that. My uncle passed away, but I remember at the funeral, the priest asked me if I would read the Psalms. It was just kind of this thing. And I thought, yeah, yeah, I want to do that. Like something was engaged, basically, for the first time. And right around this time, I had a dream. It was right around my 25th birthday, so 25 years ago, I had a dream. And that dream changed everything. It was a life-changing, mind-blowing dream. In the dream, I'm standing on Lake Candlewood in Danbury, Connecticut. It's winter, I'm standing on the ice, I'm ice fishing with my buddy John and his dad. It's one of those 
glorious winter days where the sun is bright, the, uh, the sky is incredibly blue, uh, there's white snow and ice, and we're standing there, and I look down into the hole where we uh, were fishing, and there's a fish sticking its snout out of the hole. Now, if you ice fish, you may know that that never happens. And I reach down, and I pick it up, and I, and I hold it up. And in the dream, the light from the, 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 light from the sun was so bright, and it shone on the side of this, this fish in a way that it made it look not bronze, but actually golden, like it was made of gold. And then suddenly in the dream, I realized that no, it's not looking gold, it's not just appearing to be gold, it's actually golden. I'm holding up a living golden fish. The way I look at the dream in retrospect is that God was speaking to me with what I call the secret vocabulary of my heart. This dream would have meant nothing to anyone else. It would have been just bizarre. In, in my 20s, after college, I finally came up with what I thought was a suitable answer to the meaning of the universe. I came up with this idea that, okay, it's kind of like a literary image. You have a frozen lake, and the ice on the lake represents the conscious mind and the water beneath the ice represents the unconscious mind or the collective unconscious. And so that's Jung's idea of God, it's kind of Eastern God force. And so the goal of life and of all religions is basically the same, okay, it's to drill through the ice, the conscious mind, to reach the collective unconscious. This was this kind of idea that I had come up with. So when I had the dream, obviously, uh, it had some believable resonance. And so I'm, I'm holding this fish, and I realize in the dream, like it's just like these paragraphs just drop into my head, boom, boom, like I know God has just one-upped me with my own simple system. I, in the dream, am aware, looking at this golden fish, like it's out of a fairy tale, that God has just said to me without a word, uh, Eric, you wanted to touch water. You wanted to touch inert water. Uh, this collective unconscious, this Eastern idea of this God force, but I have something else for you. I have my son, um, Jesus Christ, the son of God, your savior. This was huge. In fact, I remember specifically, and this has meaning here, that when we would see the, the fish on the back of the car, the chrome fish, where they started popping up in the 70s, my father got really excited about telling me that this is a Greek word. Uh, that the Greek word for fish is ichthus, and that's an acronym, Isus Christos Deus Imon Sotir, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Savior, and that's where the Christians came up with the fish symbol. So in the dream, I instantly knew all this came together and just blew my mind. You know, uh, it was transcending. People have said faith is a leap in the dark. Let's switch the cliches. Faith is a leap into the light. If it's not true, I don't want to believe it. If it's just kind of helping me a little bit, but it's not ultimately true, then it's, what, what are you believing in? My name is Eric Metaxas, and I am second. Thank you, Eric. Um, so I Am Second is a series where um, known people are invited to, to, to share about their their experience of God. 
Isn't that amazing? God speaks in the language of our heart. Leap into the light. Where is the blind faith? I want to thank you, Lord, that you engage with us. You speak with us. You don't leave us in the dark. If we want to hear you, if we don't want to hear you, we remain in the dark. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes shall not perish in him, sorry, shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. This is the judgment. We condemn ourselves. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. We're just switching the, the, the picture around when we say flight, faith is blind. Daniel 2.22 oops, again, says, It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him just sounds like there's a pattern the enemy always tries to reverse the, the thing you know god says it's, a, it's light the enemy comes and says actually you know what it's a bit dark and we say oh yeah it seems plausible yeah <clears throat> so back to faith qualified as blind the second question is what kind of evidence are we talking about in the Hebrews Amplified Version, uh, Amplified Bible, in Hebrews 11, verse 1, Amplified Passage, this is the description that I found. It says, Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. So as soon as we turn, as soon as we view the world as a completely material reality, then we say, well, you know, faith is based, as the Oxford Dictionary says, faith is based on spiritual conviction rather than proof. So, yeah, there is no proof in that sense. Now, Ludwig Wittgenstein, who is an Austrian-born philosopher who taught at Cambridge, uh, spent most of his life in, in Britain, um, has said and written a lot of interesting things. And this I found really, really um, um, inspiring. He says, an honest religious thinker is like a tightrope walker. He almost looks as though he were, he were walking on nothing but air. His support is the slenderest imaginable. And yet, it really is possible to walk on it. He almost looks as though he were walking on nothing but air, 
His support, his support is the slenderest imaginable, and yet it really is possible to walk on it. Reminds me of the narrow path. So, and this is why I find it interesting, because there's a second video I'd, I'd like us to watch, just a very short illustration of how it captures my imagination. It's just before that, I think. Last one. Amazing. <laughs> Faith works. <laughs> so he's not completely wrong. He must, I guess he didn't, he didn't watch the, 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 the film before that because I think he said that before. Maybe they, got, they uh, were inspired. Um, so God calls us to walk on this narrow path. It's not impossible. It's narrow. And there is a way. We sang, he's a way maker. Jesus said, I am the way. It's a narrow path. So, after having looked at all this panorama of what people say and think, what does the Bible say? The Bible says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. It's, bit of, it's, bit, it's a bit of an obscure um, passage uh, but there are two parts to it. The first part is faith is the assurance. In the Amplified Version, um, they, they amplify it, paraphrase it as the title deed or the confirmation. It's something external. So assurance comes from the outside. We receive it of things hoped for. So we've hoped for things. We receive a confirmation of those things that we were hoping for. And that, in the second part, we developed as a result a conviction in our mind 
about things in the outside world, of things not seen yet. So in other words, faith is the process by which God meets us in our hopes with an assurance which he expresses through his Holy Spirit in us, whereby we develop a conviction about things not yet seen. There's a give and take going here. And that's, and that's amazing, because God is a relational God. This shouldn't come as a surprise. And faith is, a, and is, is, a, is simply an expression of that relationship, which he establish, establishes us with us. Sorry, establishes with us. <clears throat> He's a promise keeper. He's a covenant God. So where does faith start? Faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. And another passage, without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must first believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So it's very simple, really. If you start believing that he exists, for some people it's a big leap of faith, but it's a narrow path. Then there's a whole world that opens up. <clears throat> so if I want to sum it up quickly, faith is not religion, because faith expresses a relationship, not an institution. Faith only appears irrational if you have no relationship with God. If you have, if you have, if you are, this is, there was a debate between Dawkins and Lennox um, about, you know, uh, it was based on the book he, uh, uh, Stephen Dawkins had written uh, called The God's Delusion. And he was, you know, trying to basically uh, make his point uh, that there is no God. And uh, John Lennox is trying to, to bring this picture in, in, in this, this reality in the picture by saying, do you have a wife? Everyone starts laughing. And he says, yeah, but that has no point with it. He says, yeah, it, ha it has everything to do with it because there's a relationship. And in the context of a relationship, there is rationality. Faith is not handed down from, from the external, cult external cultural environment or society since it is a personal relationship. It's not something that someone's dictated to me. Because if I'm talking to you, it's not something that society has to do anything with it. And yes, faith is a gift. It's not something you just switch on, because it takes two people to develop it and to have a relationship. So faith is the expression of a deep cooperation with God. When we believe what God says, faith comes from hearing, we activate that power in, him, in us. Faith comes from hearing. It's really interesting, these two verses. Faith comes from hearing. And the second one says, and you believe that he is. So which one comes first? He speaks to us. We decide that we want to hear him. And then we believe that he is. There's an interaction going on. It's a, it's a bit mysterious, right? 
like in every relationship. And it also reminds me that it's, it's almost like the mustard seed. When we say, when, when Jesus said, you know, that the faith is like a, you know, you need faith like a mustard seed for it to be effective. And you will tell mountains to move and they will move. And the mustard seed, what is that first mustard? The first point of that mustard seed is that you believe that he exists. And this is why there is an attack on the mind in our, in our society. There's an attack on the power of the faith where we say, when we say, God, there is no God. I remember in the metro once in Paris, um, I felt God, you know, I was, I was, I was asking him, how, how can I pray for this? Because it's just very oppressive. And he said, just pray that people will receive the idea that there is a God. Just that. That's a ray of light. And he said, I can do anything with it. Science, so the funny thing is, on, on, the, one, on the one side, we, you know, we, we say faith is irrational and we should put it aside, etc. But then on the other hand, science relies on faith to carry out its observations and describes the laws of nature. It is by faith that scientists accept that the laws of nature are stable and can be observed that they won't wake up to, you know, tomorrow in a world where gravity is still is, is working. To be honest, scientists are not able to explain what gravity is. They don't know what force is. They don't know how the, the, the constants of the universe have been so finely tuned for life to exist on the planet. We can describe a lot of things. We don't explain things. And we use also the same mechanism of faith when we use our money. We believe in the value of money because it is recognized throughout society. Everyone believes in it, and therefore it has, it has money. In itself, it's a myth. In that sense, if we draw the parallel with our spiritual life, faith can be said to be the currency of heaven. That's our money. We're exchanging the earthly reality for the heavenly one. So if we fix our eyes on things above, we're working with heaven to use that currency and make things happen on earth. And finally, maybe one last thought. This is something I, I, I feel God gave me as, as something to help me pray better or with more faith. When we pray, we envision a reality that is not yet. And this is where it's important to imagine, when you pray, imagine the reality. If you commit that to God, so, you know, we are in a cooperation, right? When we pray, we commit it to God, He is able to speak into that reality, imagined reality. Therefore, the smallest of faiths is enough, just as Jesus said. Faith, the size of a mustard seed, can be said to be the first step that God exists, that he is able, and that he wants it. As soon as he speaks, the imagined reality becomes the reality that we live in. He spoke this world into being. <laughs> I, think, I think that's a big answer to a non-prayer. <laughs> so let's have faith. Faith is not irrational. Faith is a gift. 
Let's, let's receive what we're hearing this morning and let that produce faith in us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we're able to preach it. Thank you that we're able to meditate on it. Thank you that you've put in place a mechanism by which we can cooperate with you in bringing your will to happen on earth. And Father, help us to cooperate with you to action our faith, as small as it might look like, but it's still real because you are behind, behind um, your word. And you can speak into being what it, whatever is not yet. And we want to have our eyes fixed on heaven so we can see the reality of heaven and bring it to happen on earth by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, my friend. Thank you.